Hi, it's great to be with you again as we continue in our series, Life-Changing Lessons from the Parables. And today we're looking at a couple of parables that Jesus told, stories that Jesus told about prayer um, to the disciples to teach them how to pray. Now, before we get into um, talking too much about prayer, I want us to feel comfortable in this space because I know that a lot of us actually find prayer quite difficult. Um, here's a couple of quotes to make us feel even more comfortable about how difficult it is. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. He was a great British preacher. He said, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Thomas Shepard, one of the founders of Harvard, once wrote, there are times in my life when I would rather die than pray. That's a bit extreme. And C.S. Lewis wrote this. Well, let's now at any rate come clean. Prayer is irksome. An excuse to omit it is never unwelcome. And when it's over, this casts a feeling of relief and holiday over the rest of the day. We are reluctant to begin. We are delighted to finish while we're at prayer, but not while we're reading a novel or solving a crossword puzzle. Any trifle is enough to distract us. Well, um, hopefully you didn't resonate too much with those quotes about prayer uh, because God loves us to pray. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about prayer and he wrote this in chapter 6. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He goes on, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, and he goes on to share his own prayer points, uh, he concludes, Pray that I may declare the gospel fearlessly. God wants us to be people of prayer, and yet we do find it difficult at times. So let's jump in and see how Jesus teaches the disciples to pray and what we can gather from that. And the context is that um, the disciples come to Jesus with a question. So it says in Luke chapter 11, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. This is a slightly... Um, paired back version of the Lord's Prayer here in Luke's Gospel. There's a slightly more expanded version in the other Gospels. Now we know this prayer well, the Lord's Prayer, and we often pray this prayer in our churches. Many of us know it off by heart, which is a great thing, but I don't think we should stop. I don't think we should stop at just reciting the Lord's Prayer because I, I feel like Jesus may very well have been giving the disciples not something to recite often, but a template, a kind of like structure to guide them in their own individual and unique prayers. So it is a lovely template. Jesus encourages them to begin by addressing God as Father. How do we pray? Not, Holy God, you know, I'm afraid to come into your presence. No, Father. Abba, in fact, in the original language that, that Jesus spoke in. Abba, Father, Heavenly Father. What a comforting form of address. 
It's like saying friend. Um, it's wonderful. So Jesus encourages us to begin our prayers comforted by the fact that God is our Father and to address God as our Father. And then hallowed be your name. Be glorified, God. Um, and again, if we, if we take this as a framework rather than something we're just meant to recite, then imagine you're out for a walk in the beautiful countryside and you start to pray and you say, Father, not hallowed be your name, but instead you, you look around you and go, God, Father, thank you for this wonderful creation that you have given us to enjoy. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the sunshine on the, on the trees as I walk. Uh, so Jesus has given us this wonderful template and we could be reflecting on any part of God's wonderful character at the start of our prayers. But I like that Jesus, you know, hasn't said, just go straight in with your requests. He's rather said, acknowledge God as Father. Acknowledge God's great character, his attributes. And then this, um, this, uh, this wonderful way of um, kind of orienting our prayer into God's kingdom. Give us, uh, your kingdom come, we pray, your kingdom come. And before we get to all of the needs that we've come to God in prayer about, Jesus tells us to orient our prayers, um, to ground it in God's kingdom, the kingdom that we have been invited into, the kingdom that is spreading, the kingdom that gives the world hope, um, it's a wonderful thing to orient our prayers in this way. Then he tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that wonderful that Jesus says God wants us to come to him with our requests, our very real and um, sincere requests for even the most basic things. Uh, but I also think that in praying about bread, it reminds us that the very bread that we take for granted, the very air that we breathe, we have because of a generous God. Um, there's that encouragement. Ask God for what we need and ask God on behalf of others for what they need. And then the prayer moves into a time of repentance. Forgive us our sins. Um, we may have come to prayer because we're guilty conscience and we want to ask God. We want to say sorry to God. And then for we... Also forgive everyone who sins against us. Just the, that statement reminds us. Would we otherwise think that, uh, to, to add that to our prayers, to be conscious of the fact that we need to forgive others and we should be thinking about who we need to forgive? And lead us not into temptation. Help us to resist the next moment of temptation. And then in the other Gospels, we know that this prayer ends uh, for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours forever and ever. Amen. Which again takes us back to the kingdom and back to the great reassurance about God's greatness, his sovereignty, his goodness and the very certainty of God's kingdom. So a wonderful template prayer that Jesus explained to the disciples and he could have stopped there. But he didn't. He went on to teach them a couple more things about prayer via a couple of parables. And the first one goes like this. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I've got no food to offer him. 
and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked and my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What a great encouragement to be persistent in prayer. You know, the context, of course, is the first century in Palestine and um, and the, the Middle East. And as we think back to what life was like in that first century, hospitality was actually a very important part of the culture. Civilization had grown to the extent that people were traveling, were starting to travel, not, not in huge amounts, but they were starting to travel. And often they would travel at night because the daytime was so hot. Um, but civilization hadn't advanced so far um, that there were lots of hotels to stay in, nor were people generally wealthy. And so hospitality was actually a very necessary part of culture. Hospitality was greatly prized. Um, it was considered very virtuous, and we, we can pick this up from looking actually at some of the, the other writings of ancient literature when it comes to hospitality. There was this oriental, poverty, pro, uh, oriental proverb which said, every stranger is an invited guest. And indeed, like the guest was highly esteemed, highly honoured um, in this culture. And so in some instances, the, the guest was even treated like as the ruler of the house. Um, in some instances, the the owner of the house wouldn't even sit down until the guest invited them to do so. So this ancient hospitality, it was, it was essentially a right and uh, it was a duty. And so this is in the minds perhaps of the disciples as they hear Jesus tell this story about, about um, knocking on someone's door late at night. Um, that's the context. And Jesus parallels that with the kind of response we'll get from our Heavenly Father when we knock at the, on the door late at night with our requests. Um, God will uh, respond to our, I guess what Jesus calls here, our shameless audacity to keep bringing and keep bringing and pe be persistent, um, be audacious, be persistent, keep uh, asking, seeking, knocking. And this, I don't know whether Jesus said ask, seek and knock because that's a kind of like great rule of speech that you say things in three different ways or that it was a progression. Asking sort of feels general, seeking more specific, knocking quite determined. And Jesus encourages us to be persistent in prayer. But it raises the question, doesn't it? Like, why do we need to be persistent in prayer? Why do we keep? Why do we need to keep bringing some of the same requests to our heavenly Father? After all, He knows everything, and He knows our mind, and He knows all our needs. Why do we need to um, be persistent in prayer? Be bold in prayer. Well, you know, the Bible is actually full of examples of people who were really persistent in prayer. In the Old Testament, there's a lady called Hannah and she can't have a child and she so wants a child and she goes to the temple and she is so 
um, audacious in her prayer, so emotional in her prayer, that the priest, Eli, who's working in the temple that night, thinks that she's drunk. She's so committed. She's, she's praying so hard. Um, or there's Ezra, or there's Epaphras. You know, the Apostle Paul writes this about Epaphras. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Um, there's so many examples in Scripture of the saints who really battled God in prayer, knocked hard at that door. Um, but why do we need to be so persistent in our prayer? Well, um, I can only speculate, but uh, one commentator um, Barnes says this about being persistent in prayer. He says uh, about this passage, he says, This is to be applied to God in no other sense than that he often hears prayers and grants blessings even long after they appear to be unanswered or withheld. He leaves people to persevere for months or years until they feel entirely their dependence on him, until they see that they can obtain the blessing in no other way and until they are prepared to receive it. Often they're not prepared to receive it when they ask it at first. They may be proud or have just no sense of their dependence or they wouldn't value the blessing or it may be at that time not the best for it to obtain it just then. But let no one despair Barnes writes, if the thing is for our good and if it is proper that it should be granted, God will give it. Let us first ask aright. Let us see that our minds are in a proper state. Let us feel our need of the blessing. Let us inquire whether God has promised such a blessing and then let us persevere until God gives it. That's from Barnes' commentary on the Gospel of Luke. And it's a wonderful commentary on perhaps why Jesus encourages us to be so persistent in our prayers. Perhaps persistence in prayer expresses our true sincerity. I know that um, when uh, our daughters were much younger, they, they would ask for a lot of things, but if they would ask for something repeatedly, I would know they sincerely wanted it. Or perhaps um, it's about timing, as Barnes suggests, or perhaps sometimes we persist in prayer and indeed we're actually asking for something that we ought not to ask for. Um, I remember our children, uh, one of them often wrote on her, you know, she often asked and she wrote on wish lists. I remember one Christmas on the wish list was fairy floss maker. And I looked at that on the list and just thought, not happening. I'm never going to buy my child a fairy floss maker. Um, it just rots teeth. So, you know, it could be that we're, we're persisting in prayer. We're not praying for the right thing. And over time, we'll be able to discern that. But there's Jesus' encouragement, though. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, for God will respond. And secondly, he tells another story, a little bit of a more tricky story, that encourages us to be really confident in our prayers. He says this, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, snakes and scorpions. Um, some commentators that I've read suggested that 
in the first century, you know, you went fishing with a net and and the net would catch fish, but sometimes, you know, snakes would make their way into the net. So maybe that's an answer there or regarding the scorpion, a scorpion all curled up could look like an egg. Uh, perhaps that is a bit of the background of this particular story. But whatever it was, Jesus is giving grotesque examples, extreme examples, and he's asking a rhetorical question. Which of you fathers, if your child asks for a fish or an egg, would give them something terrible? And the answer, none of you. None of you would give your child something terrible when they asked for something good. Um, it's a rhetorical question. And Jesus wants us to contrast our response as, as parents, as, as fallen, fallible human beings um, who have such a propensity to err and make mistakes. If we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our immortal, heavenly, godly, holy, generous Father knows how to give us good things. So this is a great um, encouragement from Jesus to be very confident in our prayers as we come before our Heavenly Father. And he ends by saying, um, and how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think that the Holy Spirit is probably the greatest thing that we could ask God for. You know, we are fallen creatures, um, fallen humans, and yet he's saying your heavenly Father is even willing to indwell you with his Spirit. So don't hold back. Be bold. Um, you know, the, God is the most generous, loving God. He would even give you his spirit. So go for it. Be confident. Ask for great things, knowing that probably the great things that you think you're asking for, they're simply small um, in comparison to the truly great things that God wants to give us. Well, let's wrap this up. If you have ever travelled overseas, of course, none of us are doing that at the moment, uh, but if you've ever travelled overseas and you've, um, you know, been trained or you've done some reading before you've gone overseas into a completely different culture and you wanted to know, like, when I arrive, how do I address people and how does that culture work? How, how, do, how do things work? How do you ask for things? Um, you know, should you persist and so on? It's as if Jesus is explaining to the disciples and through the disciples to us, this is how it works in a spiritual way when we pray. This is how we address our Heavenly Father. These are the kinds of things that frame our prayer, um, that give it a structure, good structure. Um, these are the this is the confidence that we can pray with. Um, and I want to encourage you to be persistent in your prayers and to pray knowing that the biggest thing that you think you could ask for probably is tiny compared to the wonderful things that your Heavenly Father, your loving Heavenly Father wants to give you. And, you know, all of this, all of this is possible because Jesus, through his death on the cross, has enabled us to call God Father. Jesus has reconciled us to God. It is because of Jesus that we can be forgiven, that we are invited into the kingdom through repentance and faith. It's all because of Jesus. Well, let me close 
this um, life-changing lesson about prayer um, by reading a little bit of a hymn that was written by Newton. Let me just read you one verse of it. He said, he wrote this, he says, My soul, ask what thou wilt, thou canst not be too bold, since his own blood he spilled, what else can he withhold? What great encouragement. Let's be bold, let's be persistent, let's pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Thank you for listening.